Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings and chapter number 5. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 5. We're continuing with the life and ministry of Solomon. And we are now at the place where we're starting to see Solomon beginning his reign and trying to apply things to wisdom. We've already witnessed a little bit about Solomon um, um, going to the Lord and asking for wisdom and asking for discernment. And we've already seen that discernment being tested. Now we get to see Solomon working in the practical world. Now as we begin and start looking at 1 Kings chapter number 5, may I remind you that the Bible covers all areas of life. Normally when we come to church, we have an expectation that God is going to do necessarily a spiritual work, meaning that, well, he's going to work with us in our Bible reading and our walk with God. He's going to work on waiting on God. But remember that the Bible covers every aspect of life. And what we're going to see in the book of 1 Kings chapter 5 is more practical, meaning that we're going to see a lot of business and financial wisdom practiced by Solomon throughout his life. Not just spiritual things, but we can learn, and the Bible teaches quite a bit about business practices, about financial health, about financial principles, things that we need to have in our practical everyday life that we can apply in order to have a good testimony, in order to reach more people, in order to be the people that we ought to be, not just in piety or spiritual list, but we understand being right with God also means to be right with God with the people around us in business practices, in our agreements, and in our finances. If you don't mind, let's look together in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 5. The book of 1 Kings chapter 5, and notice with me in verse 1. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build a house unto the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. Now therefore command thou that thou, they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon. My servant shall be with thy servants, and unto thee I will give hire for thy servants, according 
to all that thou shall appoint. For thou knowest that there is not any among us that can skill to hew timber like unto the Zidonians. And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest to me and I will do thy desire concerning the timber of cedar and concerning the timber of fir. My servant shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the place which thou shalt appoint me and will cause them to be discharged there and thou shalt receive them and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. And so Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food for his household and 20 measures of pure oil and thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and they too made a league together. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, we're going to do a character study on... And, on the person we're going to see in this passage here. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, notice the name Hiram king of Tyre. Hiram king of Tyre. And if you don't mind in that same verse, 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 1, notice how Hiram is described a lover of David. Hiram king of Tyre, lover of David. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, we're just asking that you would give us wisdom and discernment that we could see things not just in our spiritual life, but in our practical life that we could discern and pull things out, that we could see things that Solomon had practiced and was called wise for practicing them and that we could discern some of these principles for our own life, that we could have the testimony for you and the wisdom from you in our practical everyday lives. Lord, we thank you so much for you being God. I am very conscious that I need you. I need your grace. I need your spirit. I need your power. I need your words. I need your direction. I need your thoughts. Lord, I empty myself of me knowing I can't even trust myself. You do your own work. Fill me with your spirit. You guide and direct and help your people tonight through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. As we start off, let's give some background. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is Hiram, king of Tyre. Hiram, king of Tyre. It's often wise to do a quick biographical sketch so that way we have context. We know who we're dealing with. We know where we're dealing with. Let's cover this idea of Hiram, king of Tyre. Josephus, the first century historian, informs us that Hiram uh, was a, had a prosperous reign about 34 years and had lived about the, to the age of 53. And so he was a very wise, important king 
of the city known as Tyre. Now Tyre is thought to be one of the oldest cities that are found on the Phoenician coast. Now if you're familiar with your Bible, you would have Israel. On the side of Israel towards the coast, you would have what we call the Philistine cities, the five cities of Philistines. But Israel would pretty much cover all the way up to the coast. North of Israel, you're going to have two specific cities of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. These two cities together are going to be of a region called Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Now the Phoenicians are going to be very important to world history. It is the Phoenicians who are going to become the sailors of the Mediterranean Sea. It is the Phoenicians who are going to become the water merchants. In fact, later on they're going to establish a colony called Carthage. If you're familiar with Roman history, Carthage is going to be one of their major cities that is actually going to become more important than Tyre and Sidon. But these two seafaring cities were known for its water trade, its water merchants, for its, um, for its sailors, and for these two cities. Tyre, being one of these oldest cities on the coast, was established long before the Israelites had entered into the land of Canaan. In fact, Isaiah affirms Tyre's ancient origins as calling it from the days of old. That's Isaiah 23. Tyre is situated on the Mediterranean coast directly north of Jerusalem between the mountains of Lebanon and the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 20 miles south of Sidon and 23 miles north of Acre, if you're familiar with that type of history. Neighboring city of Sidon is to believe to be one of the oldest Phoenician city, but Tyre's history made it the most distinguished. The name Tyre signifies rock, and it was because of its description. The city of Tyre was actually broken up into two parts, that it was a city on the mainland. Then there was a s part of the city that was half a mile into the ocean on a little island. And so Tyre had most of its inhabitants living on this island where the trading part was found inside of the mainland. Inside of this um, island, it was a rocky coastal fortress. In ancient times, Tyre had flourished as a maritime city and a busy uh, center for commercial trade. The area's most valuable export was then its most famous purple dye. Now remember, we have lots of colors in here just looking around. Most of you are wearing not drab colors, but you're wearing different colors. But back in the ancient world, to have clothes that were made out of color was a very expensive thing. And the most sought after color was purple, which was made out of a specific um, uh, water animal that was used to make a dye from it. And Tyre was known for this export, this famous purple dye. Originally, the ancient city was divided into two parts, the older port city, Old Tyre, wood on the mainland, and then the small rocky island about a half mile off the coast. This island had been... Um, this island was a fortress, and for many, many years, it was considered to be un. Uh, undefeatable. You could not 
invade this city because it's on an island and then its walls were straight up off the rocky coast. So it wasn't like there was a beach you could climb onto. It was just straight rocks and then the walls surrounding it. The person who decided to prove that it could be defeated was Alexander the Great who was so determined he was going to defeat the city that he built a rock causeway half a mile, so it's a half a mile water, he ordered his troops to build a rock causeway where they would just come get rocks and drop it into the water, go get more rocks, drop it in the water, and built a causeway land bridge all the way up to that island city and then burnt it to the ground just to prove that he could. Uh, That causeway never went away, and so today instead of being an island, it's now a peninsula as more soil had washed over that causeway, making it a peninsula. So it's a very interesting history, including this study, if you like that sort of thing, to watch Alexander the Great and all that he did to conquer that city, Tyre. Uh, It was almost a year-long project to build that causeway just to defeat the city, just to prove that he could. There was no such thing as an undefeatable city inside of Alexander the Great's mind. Now, the Bible first mentions Tyre in a list of cities that were part of the inheritance of the tribe of Asher found in the book of Joshua chapter 19. So remember when the people get into the promised land that they divide out the land and the land of Israel was supposed to be a lot larger. Tyre was actually given to the tribe of Asher. In fact, it was such an important city. It is the only city in that list that was described as strong or fortified. So even way back when Israel came into the land, Tyre was already considered a fortified walled city that was protected. Joshua was unable to capture Tyre. We see that in Joshua chapter 13. And evidently it had never been conquered by the Israelites, 2 Samuel chapter 24. So that's a little bit about the city of Tyre and where Hiram had come from. Now let's cover Hiram the person. We see Hiram, supporter of David. Hiram, supporter of David. If you're in 1 Kings chapter 5, notice again in verse 1. Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. Now why is this important? For Hiram was ever a lover of David. Now by the time of King David's reign, Israel had formed a friendly alliance with Hiram king of Tyre. Throughout his lifetime, Hiram remained David's friend and ally. Hold your finger here and let's kind of look in David's life. 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel chapter 5, we could see this is in the middle of David's reign and we could see that Hiram is already there and see the relations between David and Hiram. 2 Samuel chapter 5, notice with me in verse 11. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they, who is this they? The people who are the carpenters and the masons. They built David a house. 
Now, David had used stonemasons and carpenters from Tyre along with <coughs> cedars from that region to build his palace. And so David and Hiram built a great relationship and such a great friendship that Hiram was called the lover of David, meaning that he had such a respect for David. He loved him. Man, this is, this is a king that I can relate to. This is a king that's always done well by me. This is a king that I can trust. This is a king that I don't have to worry about stabbing me in the back. Man, David is a good Good guy. So now we go to Solomon's request for Hiram. So we could see that David had already had a past relationship with Hiram. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing. So when Solomon becomes king, he now reestablishes this relationship with his father, with uh, his father's friend, that he didn't try to erase all of the things. He built upon those contacts that David had already built. Notice this, Solomon's request for Hiram, verse 2, uh, going back to 1 Kings chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5, and let's see what happens between these two. 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 2, and Solomon sent to Hiram saying, so remember, Solomon has known that Hiram and David had a good friendship, good relations. So Solomon's going to build upon this. Notice as he writes this letter to him. Thou knowest how that David, my father, could not build a house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord had put them under the soles of his foot. Let's pause. So as Solomon is writing to Hiram. He's writing to Hiram things that Hiram knows. What does Hiram know? That David wanted to build a house for the Lord. Now, he may not have understood that God said, don't, David, don't do this. I don't want you to do it. But there was other practical things that David had lots of conflicts around him. He had Solomon's rebellion, Shay's rebellion. He had these other things about him, still fighting the Philistines, still trying to deal with um, um, Absalom and the, the tribe of um, <coughs> Israel when they were having issues, the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and so Hiram knew that David had something in his heart. Why? Because David talked about it. Because Hiram and David were friends. David said, man, you know what I want someday? I want to build a house for the Lord. And if I can't do it, if I have to wait, I want my son to do this. But this is in my heart. I want to see it done. And so he had already talked about these things to Hiram. Aren't you glad that you could talk, um, David was able to talk about these things that placed in his mind to someone else to be able to explain to him, this is what I want. By the way, when God has given us something to do, we should be able to clearly to explain to people outside of our church what we would like to get accomplished what we'd like to see done, and try to do it in a way that they would understand. You never know what the community may want to do to help invest, to help us to see us go forward, to cheer for us. One of the worst things a church can do is be so isolated that the community around them doesn't think the church cares about them. We should have good relations with them. In fact, the Bible says that's a qualification of a pastor, that he has a good reputation within and without. 
meaning that he has good relations with people outside of the church. The church itself should have a good testimony outside. We should be able to pay our bills on time. We should be able to have a good testimony with the businesses around them that we're not trying to see them ruined. We want them to succeed. We want to be a good part of the community. We already see this relationship with David and Hiram and Solomon is building on this relationship, this secular relationship. It's not a spiritual relationship. It is a secular business relationship that David was able to tell, this is what I want to do. Now that Solomon's in charge, he said, you know what David wanted to do? I want to build off of that. And Hiram says, oh man, I, I can get behind that. I want to help you out. Let's do that. Let's go on verse number four. But now the Lord, my God. Now notice in verse number three, it talked about the name of the Lord, his God. You see, David had a personal relationship with God. And now that Solomon's here, he's using the personal possessive pronoun, my God. You see, God is not just simply David's God. You know, David was religious and whatever. You know, he, he, he believed in spiritual things. Solomon was able to say that David's God is my God. I have a personal relationship. I have a good walk with God. And I'm building upon that walk with God to accomplish what God had given to David to do. But now the Lord, my God, hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. Now let's pause here. As we're talking about the ancient world, in order for civilization to progress, there are certain things that need to be accomplished. For example, for civilization to begin to flourish, it needs to have a stable food source. If people are just living hand to mouth and just surviving on what they have, they're not going to be able to grow as a civilization. They're just in survival mode. In addition, in order for us to come to a period of civilization of building, we can't have any battling on the outside. If I'm spending money on wars and protection, I don't have enough time to build luxury items. Does that make sense? What we're going to see in Solomon's life is that he was a builder. Why could he build such fantastic things? Because he didn't have to worry about the battles without. There was peace within his day. So as he's approaching Hiram, he's saying, listen, this is going to be a safe investment because we're not battling everybody else. We're at a time of peace, which is going to give us the freedom to build and to get the projects done. This is a big deal. To be able to talk to someone else and explain to them why this is a good investment. You know, there are many people who would like to invest in things going on in a church. They may not be saved themselves, but they want to get behind it. They need to be able to understand that we are a safe investment. Now, why do I say that? Because banks hate loaning money to a church. Why? Because a lot of churches are so poor they can't pay back the money. That's a bad testimony. Churches are notoriously bad for having lots of debt and not paying it off. Now the bank's problems or business people's problem with that is that they look bad if they have to default on a, on a bank loan. If they have to say, well, the church didn't pay for four years. We have to take the building back. That's bad press. 
So it's bad no matter what. The company feels like no matter what, if I get in business with a church, it's going to cost me. That's why it make, it's such a big deal to have a bank that wants to invest to give a loan to a church because it is a very risky investment. It's not like we're selling a product. I mean, we're not selling anything here. The only way a church survives is by the voluntary giving of the church folks. And so for a, a, a bank to be willing to invest and partner alongside with a church, they need to know that we're going to be stable. That we're not dipping in population back and forth and don't know what's going to happen. They want to make sure that we're not embroiled in big fights with everyone and we're not lambasting everyone. I mean, that's a big deal. So we're seeing some wise, practical things inside of the life of Solomon. That, hey, it is a safe investment to invest in this. We want to build a house for the Lord. And it's a safe investment because we're not going to be at war with everyone else. Our funds are not going to be transferred in order to stay on a defensive. We have the freedom and the liberty to build and to grow. Does that make sense? Notice as we go on. Verse number five, and I, and behold, I purpose to build a house unto the name of the Lord, my God, as the Lord spake unto David, my father saying, thy son, whom I've set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. Now, therefore command them that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon and my servant shall be with thy servants and unto thee I will give uh, hire for thy servants according to all that thou shalt appoint for thou knowest that there is none among us any that could skill to hew timber like unto the Zidonians. So as we come up we have this, this language here giving his command. I command you to hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon. Now the tone sounds kind of preemptory, but here is a king at the height of Israel's power who's working with, with someone else, and he's saying, this is what I need. He wasn't being timid. Hey, will you kind of consider maybe almost helping me maybe a little bit? He has the understand that everything's all right. This is where I'm at. This is what I need. We should be able to speak to someone in clear fashions, rather than uh, maybe we kind of almost hopefully, there should be some type of strength that goes along with it to be able to speak clearly, to be able to identify, look at someone's eyes, to be able to say, this is what God has given us to do and we're going to do this. We would love for you to invest and be part of us. Does it make sense? That there's no idea. Some people got the idea that as Christians, that we're everyone's doormat. And, you know, guys, maybe help me. The world and people don't respect strength or don't respect that type of weakness. There should be able to look people in the eye and clearly speak to people in a tone that they can hear and understand. That's what we're understanding. We're seeing practical business practices dealing here. There should be a confidence. You should be able to believe in what you are doing and asking for. If you could forgive um, the illustration. My pastor is crazy, okay? And he did a lot of crazy things. He needed a modular for our Sunday school building. We were running out and we had no money. So he went to the people who own this 
thing, a multimillionaire and went up and says, I believe that the Lord would have you give us one of these modulars. And he just went up and straight and said, this is what I believe the Lord have you do. And he says, listen, if you stop calling me, sir, I'll give it to you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you know, who would do that? <laughs> My pastor was crazy. He did stuff like that all the time. Now, I'm not saying he was mean or evil. I'm just saying there was a confidence about it. He believed that this is what God gave him to do. And he was able to say it in a clear way that people understood. And they respected that. People respect when we're able to clearly say what we want. What we're thinking. What we're trying to get done. There, this idea, again, forgive it, but maybe will you consider almost... Clearly state what you want. Clearly state what you're trying to get accomplished. In clear ways, people who are professional businessmen don't want to hear someone who's begging to be all around the board and timid. They want you to get to the point. What do you want? Time is money. Be clear. Can you clearly identify what you're looking for? Can you clearly state what you want to get accomplished? Can you clearly state what the purpose of it is? They respect that. Can you be clear? Notice as it goes on. <laughs> so as he's talking with them, he also acknowledges that, hey, I'm going to send some servants with you, but the purpose is, is to be a help because there's no one who could log timber like you guys. You know, we find another principle here that for specialty skills, sometimes it's best to go higher out to get the job done right. I have some personal experience of somebody's uncle's friend's dog's owner doing an inspection and not doing it right because they're trying to do a favor. Shortcuts inside of the Lord's ministry will not help a church. Especially when it's practical like a building. You know, um, some people, whatever people may think of it, but let's say that we have someone coming in to do a fire inspection. Well, some people will say, well, the government has no business doing things in a church. But listen, we want to do things so well that we're above board on everything we do. We should not have to hide things because shortcuts were taken. There are some things that are beyond our skill level of the people in our church we should hire out to do right. Amen. People say, well, that's a waste of money. No, 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 not if we're doing it right. We want to have a good testimony in everything we do. If we have someone skilled in a specific thing, that's great. And there's sometimes that we need volunteers to help the skilled person. That's what um, Solomon was doing. Hey, I'm going to send some people. They're, they're at your command because you guys know what you're doing. They're just there to help. And by the way, he said, I'll pay for your scared laborers. I'm willing to pay. I'm willing to not just ask for volunteer work. I'm willing to pay to get the job done correctly and right. And we're here to be an assistance to you. There's an idea that we're seeing some good practical business practices done to make sure things are done correctly and to have a good testimony with those without. So we see Solomon's request here for Hiram. Now, as we continue on, <coughs> Solomon has the money, Hiram has the workers, 
They're putting them together and getting the job done. Which now we have Hiram's eager response. So Solomon sent a request to to Hiram and said, all right, this is what I want to get done. You know what needs to be done. David talked about it. This is what I want to get accomplished. We now have peace. It's a good investment. I'm willing to, uh, this is what I need to get this accomplished. I'm willing to pay for it. I'm willing to send in laborers. I know you guys are going to head this project up. Let's get this done. So now we see Hiram's eager response. Notice with me verse 7. And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly. Notice he's not offended. He's glad that Solomon was able to clearly state what he wanted and what he needed to do to get accomplished. He says, sent to Solomon saying, I've considered, uh, sorry, verse number seven. And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given a David a wise son over this great people. So Hiram is so glad to receive this news and notice that Solomon had been wise in how he dealt with Hiram. Verse eight, Hiram sent to Solomon saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest for and I will do all thy desire concerning the timber of cedar and concerning the timber, uh, timber of fir. So Solomon had only asked for cedar, but Hiram now offers cypress trees as well. He says, I'll do all thy desire to give you both the cedar and the fir, which is the cypress. I want to make sure that you have everything that you need. You see, because of the testimony of David and the testimony of Solomon and how Solomon dealt wise, he was willing to invest and say, you know what? You're not only going to need this, you're going to need this. Let's make sure you get this done and do it right. That's part of having that good relationship with them. Notice in verse 9. My servant shall bring them down to Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by the sea and floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and there shall cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving them food for my household. So he goes, he makes a positive pro- proposal about how the wood should be transported. All right. So you want the wood. How are we going to get it down to you? How are we going to transport it? Let's go ahead and avoid the hilly route overland. Let's go ahead and go along the seacoast and then bring it inland. So that way we could avoid the overland travel. We could avoid bandits. We could avoid all this other stuff. Hiram is doing his best to please Solomon. And yet he's no softy. He says, listen, there needs to be an extra recompense for reserve of the service. Thou shall accomplish my desire. I need food for my household. You've got the food. So how about this? I'll get you the trees and I'll get everything you need. Not just what you asked for, but everything you need to get this project done right. In addition, you'll pay for my labors. That's good. But also I need you to also take care of this. See, what they're doing is they're working together to make sure both parties are benefiting. We'll talk more about this in just a second. Notice as he goes on, he says, <coughs> verse 10, So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for his household. And 20 measures of pure oil thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. So Solomon reaches this agreement of paying him back and this is how much I'm going to give you year by year. Now 
there's evidence that these two parties are seeking for a mutual benefit. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because so often when we deal with business deals, all we're trying to do is try to make sure we get the best deal and usually to the neglect of someone else. But in a proper deal, there should be the idea they should benefit and we should benefit together. We're not trying to shortchange them. We're not trying to say, all right, will you give it all to us for free? There should be an idea, how do they benefit from this deal? How did this work out? Sometimes when we get a house loan or do things, we're only thinking about us, but we're not thinking about how can this turn to be a blessing to them? How do they benefit from this? What can we do to make sure that they're not regretting joining this deal? That's part of being a good testimony without is that we're not just trying to get, 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 get. We want to enter mutually beneficial agreements to help each other show general concern for other people we're in agreement with. Verse number uh, 12. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And they two made a league together. We're thankful that this was not a spiritual agreement. This was a practical business deal. The Bible speaks quite a bit about finances, about having a good testimony with those without. That we can't be isolated by ourselves and be the king of a spiritual realm and then mess up our finances, mess up how we do our business deals. That we should be above board in all of our dealings, spiritual or secular. We need to keep that in mind because sometimes... The world likes to think about how can I get advantage and how can I drain and squeeze the life out of whoever I'm getting a partnership with. We should have a good testimony in all of our dealings. Now as we kind of conclude this, you say, well, this is a great message. I don't have to do anything at the altar. I'm not worried about my Bible reading. It didn't talk about being close with God. I didn't worry about lying. But how is your testimony with the people that you have business with? What business do I have? Well, you got an electric company. Do you have a good testimony with your electric company? Do you have a good testimony with your bank? Or are you constantly overcharging and overdrafting? Do you have a good friendly um, relationship with the people at the bank? Do you have a good testimony with the internet company? Or are you one of those people that's always yelling and fussing? Now, let me start stepping on toes. The most embarrassed I usually am is when Christians go out to eat. Because they abuse the waitresses and the waiter eyes or whatever they call the boys. They abuse them. They hurt them. And then they stiff them on a tip. And then they leave a track. Don't leave a track if you're going to be horrible and ugly. Just the other day, my wife was talking about the worker's at, at Walmart. And they were all saying they hate Sundays because all the church people get out of church on Sunday and they come to Walmart dressed up and they're mean as mean can be with a horrible testimony. 
And those unsaved people at Walmart said, those church people should probably just stay at church if they're going to act this way. They need it. Christians have horrible testimonies in their business dealings. We should have a good testimony with those out that we work. When we go out, someone is serving us. They're not our slave. They are working to serve us. And we should be in kind to them to win our influence over them to earn our testimony. We should watch how we speak to them. We are not their Lord and masters. We're not their, they're not our slaves. We cannot abuse people and then expect them to receive us kindly. We need to have good testimony in all of our business dealings. Whether you're at the grocery store and dealing with a person at the checkout counter. They're just doing their job. You don't have to yell at them because the price of eggs is more than what you want to pay. They have nothing to do with it. If you're at a fast food thing and you mess up on your order, don't blame them for you messing up your order. I, I know you guys work in those type of things. You deal with those people all the time. We need to have a good testimony. If we are saying that we're Christians, we have to behave as Christians in all of our dealings. Since I'm kicking the cat, might as well. I despise when our church people are in hospitals. Amen. How bad church people hurt the nursing staff and abuse them, and yell at them, and throw things. And then they want to be religious when pastor's there and pass them out a track. No. Yeah. I don't know how many times that I've gone to go babysit a church member who's trying to break out of the hospital and yelling at the nursing staff, you're abusing me, why are you being mean to me? They're trying to help. I understand you don't want to be there, but don't take it out on the people who are helping you. You're like, you're meddling now. No, we didn't have good testimonies wherever we are at. You do not have the right to be mean to people in all of your dealings. Whether it's the gas station, grocery store, restaurant, hospital, bank, DMV waiting in line. Don't yell at the person behind the counter. You're like, you're really mad. No, we need to have a good testimony in all of our dealings. What happens if they mess up? Let me tell you what I do. If I have a waitress who just messes up and she knows she messes up, I tip her more. Why? Because she'll read that track afterwards when she knows she messed up and I still was nice to her. Show graciousness. Now, I, the, why am I getting over this? I deal with Christians all the time. I am so embarrassed with Christians out in public. You could behave nice inside of the church building, but you act the fool dealing with other people. Leaping over a counter because someone got your dress size wrong is not proper ever. Tearing someone's head off when they're just trying to do a service for you is not how a Christian behaves. 
we need to have a good testimony no matter where we are at. And all of our dealings need to be above board. Even if it's the idea that hard times come. All right, good. I'm going to meddle some more. I'm going to kick. I just might as well. Listen, if you're at the place where you're not paying your bills, call your bill collectors and be honest with them. At least have a good test. They want to work with you. Don't hide and ignore their calls. They'll get to the place where there's no, you'll, you'll be out of options. Keep a good testimony with all the things you do. You say, all right, now, now it's enough. I'm trying to be a help now. We need to have good testimony. So what if you read your Bible? So what if you pray? You could ruin it all just by your testimony without in public. Behave. Carry yourself wisely. You'll never win someone to the Lord when you are acting stupid in public. And they'll watch you. If that's what a Christian is like, I don't want anything of it. Again, we just heard that this weekend by a bunch of unsaved people who are watching church people act the fool. And I hear reports like that from church people all the time. And I always feel like I have to apologize. I'm sorry church people do that. But church people do this all the time. I know. I'm sorry. They shouldn't behave that way. And by the way, I'm just going to growl a little bit. I'm your pastor. If I find any of you acting the fool like that, we're going to have words because I love you. In Christian love, we're going to have some words. Don't act stupid out there. Have a good testimony. Show people graciousness. Don't abuse people. I don't care how bad of a day that you have. You never have the right to be foolish around people. And we need to have a good testimony in everything we do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.